Shut up and sit down. Listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. Here's your host, John Lund. Hello, everyone. You're listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. I'm your host, John Lund, the multimedia sports enthusiast, bringing you this sports show. What's it like to work in New York radio and have a nationally syndicated show? We'll talk about that and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve on episode 72 of The Bridge. Greetings and salutations, everyone. Welcome back to another installment of The Bridge, coming to you live on Sports Radio America every Wednesday night, 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time, to bring you the best and brightest of the sports world. That's right, The Bridge is live on Sports Radio America every Wednesday night, though the show is technically pre-recorded. If you do miss the live show, the podcast version of The Bridge is available 48 hours after the initial broadcast, which means you can find the newest episode on iTunes under The Bridge Sports Podcast or on my website at londonbridge.com on Friday nights. I'll save all the ways you can listen to The Bridge and where you can find the show until the end of this latest installment. If anything, you can call in or text in to the show 24-7 at 929-BRIDGE-7. That's 929-274-3437. Contact the show with your questions, comments, stories, or hot takes, and you'll be featured in the next installment of The Bridge. All right, let's get into the fun stuff. Give me the siren. The NBA offseason has already caught fire with traded draft picks and traded players before even getting to the draft. There's no great way for an NBA player to find out he's moving teams, but it was even more awkward for Dwight Howard, who found out he was being traded right after starting a question and answer session about NBA trades. It's time for the number one news anchor parody segment in sports radio. Here's this week's edition of Sports News Read Like Real News. Dwight Howard entered the NBA with a physique seemingly molded after a Greek god and with expectations to do big things as a true big man in the league. Since he was picked number one by the Orlando Magic in 2004, Howard is an eight-time All-Star, eight-time All-NBA team selection, a five-time All-Defensive member, a three-time Defensive Player of the Year. He's won a dunk contest and won a gold medal, along with beating the LeBron James-led Cavaliers in leading the Orlando Magic to the NBA Finals for the first time since Shaq did. 
He was a real-life Superman! Everywhere but the free-throw line, of course. Though a series of injuries and getting called soft by Kobe Bryant have contributed to his diminished role, which eventually landed him back home with a three-year deal for the Atlanta Hawks. With rumors swirling and projections of big trades and moves, Howard took to Twitter on Tuesday to discuss with his followers, tweeting, Okay, Twitter fans, give me your thoughts, trades or otherwise, and remember to be nice. Question and answer sessions can certainly be fun and insightful, but little did Howard know of what was happening in the trade market world while he was most likely scrolling through his phone to answer his first question. Just five minutes after Howard tweeted of the question and answer session, Mark Spears, a senior NBA writer for ESPN's Undefeated, broke the news that the Hawks had agreed to trade Dwight Howard to the Charlotte Bobcats, which was then quickly corrected to the Hornets. Five minutes later, Howard responded to his first question of what he thought of the Paul George rumors and where Paul George might be going, saying that George had so many great options, tough to call. Immediately, fans flooded the tweet with responses, the first of which read, What are your thoughts on the Dwight Howard trade? Details of that trade were eventually released, with the Hawks sending Howard and the 31st pick to the Hornets for Plumley, Marco Bellinelli, and the 41st pick. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. The Hornets will be Howard's fifth team in his 13-year NBA career. And if Dwight thought Kobe Bryant was too hard on him as a teammate, just wait until you have Michael Jordan as your owner. I'm John Lund for Sports News Red Like Real News. Let's take a quick break to fiddle around with the NBA trade machine. When we come back, we'll talk to a sports broadcaster about hosting local and national shows with ESPN and much, much more. We'll be right back on the bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. As you heard earlier in the show, you can call in or text in to the bridge at 929-BRIDGE-7. That's 929-274-3437. Leave a voicemail or text your questions, comments, stories, or hot takes, and you'll be featured in the next installment of The Bridge. Now we do like to pose a question each show to help give you the urge to call in or text in to The Bridge. This week, we want to know any thoughts you might have on the NBA offseason thus far. Go ahead, fire away. And speaking of the NBA offseason, there's been a lot going on since the NBA Finals ended with the Sixers trading up with Boston for the number one pick in the NBA draft to the Lakers getting rid of their number two pick from two years ago for the Brooklyn Nets all-time leading scorer to the Knicks getting ready to do Knicks things. But after all the Warriors and Cavaliers talk we've had to listen to for the past several months, I just can't bring myself to do it. I need a break from hoops and thankfully was able to find one and thoroughly enjoyed the discussion had in its place. 
We had the pleasure of chatting with someone who shares the best last name in sports radio in Robin Lundberg, though maybe I'm the one sharing his last name, though this is my show, so we're going to go with the former. You've heard Robin on ESPN Radio locally in New York as well as at a national level. You've seen him on TV, whether that's on Mike and Mike in the Morning, Sports Nation, Fox, CNN, Sports Illustrated, and much more. Certainly making him worthy of describing himself now on Twitter as a content provider. Robin got his start interning for Around the Horn in its early days before landing at ESPN Radio and co-hosting with Ryan Rucco and Mike Greenberg Jr., as well as hosting his solo show. He was unfortunately part of the ESPN layoffs a couple months ago, but quickly landed on his feet. He continues to host his Stick to Sports show, which comes out on Wednesday nights as well. So we'll chat about how he got into sports media, some of the different experiences he had with ESPN Radio, what he's up to now, what the future looks like, and a rant about why LeBron James is better than Michael Jordan. You can follow Robin on Twitter. He's at Robin Lundberg. That's R-O-B-I-N-L-U-N-D-B-E-R-G. And without further ado, let's get into that interview. We're here with Robin Lundberg. He's done radio and television locally in New York, as well as at the national level, along with a slew of other media work worthy of describing himself now on Twitter as a content provider. And hopefully I can lead us in the right direction in getting us there. I wanted to turn back the clocks a little bit to start. You graduated from Maryland, class of 2004, but I was interested to know, were you in the stands for the Duke Miracle Minute in 2001? Yeah, I was uh, at Coalfield House. I think I might have cried, actually. I know you did work with television, radio, all of the things that go into having a journalism degree. Did you have to cover that game, or were you able to go as a fan? I went to that game as a fan because, you know, in the first couple of years, I was working my way up the ladder. So I had to learn, like, the, the rules to field hockey, to broadcast field hockey games. Um, it was my, more my junior and senior year that I was doing the big assignments when it came to the basketball and the, the football team, which was actually good. The football team was actually good when I was there. Right. We know college basketball, even college football was a lot different back then, especially with college basketball where players weren't afraid to stay three or four years. Teams were almost able to build around those guys. But focusing on your time at Maryland, how exciting was it for you not only to get a taste of sports media, television, radio, what went into that, but also getting to do so covering those great teams that you had during your time there? Well, I mean, look, that's a once-in-a-lifetime experience. I'm not really a college sports fan in general. Uh, you know, I prefer the highest level. Um, but when you're in college, you're a part of it, right? And so th there's that that you can never take away. And then also, you know, it was like sort of training uh, in a sense where I, I wound up co-running the, the student radio station and um, doing those broadcasts, which led to an internship at Around the Horn which was really my entryway into more of my professional career. So um, I have no complaints about uh, my college experience whatsoever. When did you first know that you wanted to pursue sports media? Was it specific as well to journalism and broadcasting, or did you want to do it all and just get your feet wet with whatever the opportunity was? Uh, you know what? I, I didn't have it 
specifically carved out. I knew I wanted to do something in sports, entertainment, media, that kind of thing. Um, I, I went to Maryland in part because of that, because they have a really good journalism school and it was a big school. So I knew I could cover the sports teams and, and the like. Maybe it was, um, you know, watching sports center when I was a kid and that being like, cool. It's funny because like sports centers are relevant now. Um, you know, they hang on to it because of the brand name, but it's not a format that will last forever, given just the, the wild changes between, I mean, I was in college a while ago, but between, especially when I was in, in high school and, and now, um, but that was like the, you know, that was cool. And I, that would be um, probably, if I'm picking one thing, uh, what I sort of aim for. But really, I just kind of wanted to do things and, and find my way. And, and that's kind of how I did. You mentioned getting the internship with Around the Horn, and that's going back to around 2003 with Max Kellerman as the host, the These Four Things I Know Are True Days. How were you able to land that, and what was that experience like for you to get started doing something like that? Um, that was awesome. I mean, I, I landed it, really, I would say, because the school had announced that they were looking for people for that that internship and my resume looked good because of the, the stuff I had done at school with the broadcasting. So that's what got my foot in the door. And then of course, you know, when I was over there, I befriended some of the people that, that ran the show. Um, Bill Wolf, who was the executive producer, he's high up of the food chain at, at ESPN. He's back with ESPN now. And Max, who's, um, a, you know, a good friend of mine to this day. Um, you know, we hit it off almost immediately and I was a kid, um, you know, but, uh, I still, you know, um, we're, we're in, in contact all the time. And, uh, so it was a, a good experience as far as, um, career wise, professionally and, and personally. You mentioned sports center being an inspiration of sorts for younger sports fans who might want to pursue sports media. I fell into that as well. Growing up watching the morning sports centers with some of the great anchors that they had, but it's not difficult to draw a comparison to what Around the Horn and PTI were doing then, to what sports talk shows have sort of evolved into now with this Embrace Debate philosophies. And though those shows weren't as loud and still aren't as loud or maybe as ridiculous with their takes, did you get the feeling while being surrounded by them that was maybe the state of where sports media would be heading eventually? Well, you know what? I don't think there's ever one answer. I mean, that's definitely in vogue right now. Uh, As far as like the reason some of that stuff is popular, um, you want different perspectives, you want opinions. Everybody likes that sharing, arguing. You know, w- the the jobs that are in real trouble, I think, are are like straight anchors. You know, like just um, straight to camera, no personality, just like navigating. There's not much room for that going forward. So everybody has to be versatile. Everybody has to figure out their own voice and, and all that. But these things constantly change, shift, and adapt. I mean, the the studio show model that exists now, I think, needs an update. I don't know what that's going to be. When PTI came out, it was really groundbreaking because of the um, the rundown on the side of the screen. If you notice, that like was copied by every show in, in every genre. That was really a huge thing. And now I, I think that the studio show is in need of a makeover, and whoever discovers the right way to do that is going to make a lot of money. Max Kellerman, of course, ended up leaving ESPN for Fox Sports in 2004 to start the IMAX show. And you served as the broadcast associate, produced some of the weekend shows. Did he recommend you to join him, sort of pluck you from that fold and take you with him? 
Uh, I mean, long story short, yeah, that was part of it. He, he, uh, a bunch of guys from the Around the Horn staff went up to do that show. So I'm going to have you do a little bit of heavy lifting to continue this story. I know a year after Fox Sports, you landed up at ESPN New York, and I know you might need a deep breath for this, but can you give the listeners a Cliff Notes version of how you ended up there, where you sort of got started, and how you worked your way up through the ranks? Uh, yeah, well, I was, uh, I'm actually only lasted about nine months due to a variety of factors. And then, um, when I, uh, was, I was out of work, so I was bartending, waiting tables. And I, I um, you know, it was Max again, went over to 1050 AM at the time and he had recommended me and I, I got my foot in the door there. I was producing Stephen A. Smith's show, um, Max's show, um, Brandon Tierney's show for a while. And then I wound up working on, on Max's show as like the producer slash uh, sidekick. Um, but we had a lot of strife uh, at the time. I think we were a little ahead of our time. I'll just put it that way. Um, not the same as, say, a Levitard show, but in that sort of mold way before that was cool with, with management types. Um, he wound up leaving. So I was still there. And I didn't really have a defined role, but that's when I, I uh, wound up getting uh there was a, a a change behind the scenes that helped me and i wound up um working with ryan Rucco, and we had a lot of success together a, as a partnership um there are some times in the between where i was a little collateral damage for various things um but i wound up getting the overnight shift and that's where i sort of carved out my solo voice and, and got a lot of my reps doing uh the the radio and i did that for for a number of years before um in new york before it was syndicated um, and now I'm in a little bit of a different spot. How were you able to find that radio voice, uh, especially doing so while covering New York sports and being from Maryland doing so? Well, I mean, you learn about anything. I mean, I've, I've now lived in New York for what, 13 years. So I, I would think that's enough to qualify as a New Yorker. The, um, discovering your voice here, I'll say this doing solo radio. If you can do solo radio, you can basically do anything in the, the industry that the, the most difficult things I think I've done are stand up comedy, um, and solo radio. And now solo radio is not difficult for me at all because I've done so much of it, but you can feel very alone. You know, there's nobody there to like, if, let's say I, I was out of things to say, you're going to start talking. Right. And then I'm going to, but there's nobody like you know, that that doesn't happen in solo radio. So it was a really good experience for me. And I, I think, uh, to be, you know, not to be humble. I, I think I'm, I'm damn good at it. So, um, that helped define how I approach things. My, my time as a producer helped me define how I pro uh, approach things because it gave me an insight some hosts don't have. Uh, I was able to conceptualize and still able to conceptualize things with the, the mind of putting a show together, not just the mind of the, the, you know, the person giving their opinions and, and try to, to blend those um, two things into a, a one package. Was there a point in going through this process of sports media that you had doubts that you were good enough or that you would be able to make it? Um, everybody has those, uh, you know, everybody has that or that, you know, you curse with bad luck. Um, or you're not as good as you think you are. And you just kind of have to, let's just say you, you take those thoughts and you put them in a little trash bag and you dump them down a chute, you know? Um, you have to almost visualize that and you have to allow the, that belief in yourself to, to keep going. Cause I've had more than a handful of times where I felt like, man, I should just quit, give up. 
And if I didn't keep my head up and, and keep um, pushing forward, I wouldn't um, have done a lot of the stuff that I've done. So, I mean, I would say for the vast majority of it, I have tons of confidence and, and all that stuff. And then just like everybody else, you have those insecurities, you have those doubts. And, um, you know, if you want to succeed, you cannot let those be the, the dominant voice in your head. Did it become more difficult dealing with that in the rise of social media, especially the world of Twitter, where trolls love to hide behind their keyboards and fire away if they disagree with somebody? Do you sort of ignore that side of what people are able to do when it comes to their negative comments like that? Oh, yeah, that stuff doesn't bother me at all. Um, you know, the, the voice inside my head can bother me more than any voice that I've you know read on Twitter or all that. Actually, that's more of a confidence boost the other way, because you're able to see how much people care about what you have to say, engage with what you say, share it. Um, and then the, the people who take their time to go out of their way to say something bad about you, you just know that those people actually love you just as much as the people who say they love you. I call those, they're like reverse fans because you, you don't do that for someone who you're not paying attention to. You know, if you're not paying attention to that person, you don't care enough to do that. If you care enough to do that, then you are consuming that person's intellectual property and that person's content. Circle back to the Max Kellerman show. You were obviously the producer, as you said, and one of the titles, the on-air researcher and comedian. So I wanted to ask if there might be a sketch or a segment that you remember from those days that stands out to you as maybe one of your more favorite ones. The Stephon Marbury head towel. Because I, I remember... We, we had all, like, you know, I've been an NBA fan my whole life, and being in New York, I desperately wanted the Knicks to succeed, and I would rationalize my way into a lot of their stupid moves. Now I'm past that, and I, I just realize how much of a mess of an organization they truly are. But at, at that point in time, I, I was like, all right, you know, Eddie Curry and Zach Randolph, you know, um, and there was a game, I think it was against the Boston Celtics, and we were, you know, wondering how the, the Knicks matched up with the, the class of the East. And they just got destroyed by, like, 50 points. And I remember Marbury sitting there on the sideline with the towels draped over his head, as he often did. So I did a bit, you know, about the, the purchase of the, the, those towels, the, the head towels, really mocking the, the Knicks and, and Marbury's uh, demeanor at the time. And that's probably the one that stands out the most to me. Are you a fan of how much support he has gotten from his team overseas? I believe they've already erected the statue of him. He's basically a god now, what he's done playing for them. Is it a little sour for New York Knicks fans? Where was this when he played for the Knicks? Uh, you know what? I mean, I don't begrudge anybody's success and all that, and it seems like he's he turned himself around in some ways, too. Um, some of the, the stuff that he did when he was in the NBA, he's not doing over there, and uh, more power to him. Good for him. I'm glad to see that. You did a lot of man-on-the-street work as well with some of those stations in New York, and I was wondering if one of those exchanges might stand out. Could be a celebrity if you were at an event, or it could just be someone walking down the street. Was there an exchange that you had, whether positive or negative, that you remember from that? Uh, I got Ben Spiller to laugh. That was cool. Um, <laughs> I, I'm trying to I mean, there's so many of those uh, just fans on the street. You know, some of the stuff that's the most uh, funny to me is when they have no idea what they're talking about, and and yeah, you get a reaction with that. But you you must have been stalking me, dude. I mean, what the you you know everything. Well, you know you got to do research <laughs> when you're interviewing somebody. You know that from radio. I couldn't just come in off the cuff. 
I've never done that much. You know, you've, you've gone beyond the Wikipedia page, that's for sure. Well, you have a lot on your website, so you made it really easy for me there. I just had to do sure. a, a couple odds and ends things, but I wanted to let people know all the things you've been going through. I know it's probably tough to even remember some of the different things that you've been up to, especially getting to host your own show, having your name ESPN 98.7. I believe that started back in September of 2012 or around there. Was that a moment where you can sort of step back and, and just think that I've really made it in this industry? How cool of a moment was that for you? You know what? Um, I, I would say, to be honest with you, when I got the show with Ryan uh, and we, we were doing early mornings and then we got moved into the afternoon because it was so successful and my name was in that show, that was that moment more for me than the one that was just on a show, which was cool. But when I went away to get married, I, I didn't have a job. And I worked out something where I, I carved out that overnight slot to sort of prove myself. And then that became something that I was really proud of and, and um, you know, um, was a great experience for me because, like I said before, I learned how to do a solo show. I, I learned exactly how I want to, you know, present my material, what my voice is. So that was such an awesome learning experience. But the, the moment of, wow, you know, um, uh, you know I'm officially... Uh, in this industry was when I, you know, and I didn't all the way crack in yet. And, you know, at the time I thought I did it later, it it wound up, it wasn't quite as um, cut and dry as I thought. But that moment for me, at least personally, was when I I had that show with Ryan and I saw, you know, my name up on a show and it was going to be in the middle of the day. How easy was it for you to develop a chemistry with Ryan? I know sometimes it might take a little while for people when they're doing a show. Critics might say that it's not good. They don't have any chemistry. But it seems like you guys were able to get off the ground running in a sense with that. Well, I mean, I think you have to like each other. You have to respect each other. Uh, He was very welcoming because that was his show. You know, um, it began with as his show and I was the producer on that at 5 a.m. So as it morphed into a solo show, he was very welcoming uh, of that, which was cool. I'd say with any partnership, you know, you you want to have some things in common. You want to have it, there's no perfect um, there's no perfect recipe for chemistry, but you you want to like each other and respect each other. And then some of the other stuff, it's just like whether or not um, you you get each other, whether or not each of you get it. Because I, I've always said this about myself: I think I can do a good show with anybody. Like, you know, I'm, I'm capable of listening to their perspectives, of carrying a show if I need to, all that stuff. But in order for it to hit an, a next level, there has to be something just natural about the conversation, whether it's you're building on the conversation where somebody says something and, and you add to that point, or whether somebody's actually, you know, I like it the best when somebody goes back at me. Because a lot of times I say things so authoritatively, and, you know, I, I tend to back up my points as well, that some people will defer to that, and, and I don't think that often creates for the, the, um, the best shows. I'm not saying argue for the sake of argument, but I, I do like being with somebody who's willing to give me crap, you know? Did the chemistry also come easy with Mike Golick Jr.? That was one of the last shows that you did, first and last with Lundberg and Golick Jr., as it was called. But it probably maybe took a couple of days just from going from a show that I'm sure you enjoyed to another one. Was there any doubt if you would be able to develop a similar relationship that you would already have and find that success in the next show that you were doing with Mike? Um, you know, you, you approach every situation positively. And, and 
Mike is a really good dude, so that always helps. And, um, you know, the, the problems there were, we weren't, you know, I don't know if people know this, we weren't supposed to talk about it while it was going on, but since it's over with, we weren't in the same location, so we, we used um, iPads to FaceTime, which is, uh, a, you know, a technology thing you wouldn't have been able to do in the past, and that really helped there. But, you know, you, uh, every, every show is different, every person is different, and if I, you know, I, I could go through and rank shows and chemistries and all that stuff, but um, as far as, as dealing with that show, it was cool to be able to get on Mike and Mike, and uh, like I said, he's a great dude, so, uh, you know, I have no complaints about it. Do you ever rag on Ryan or Mike for having the better head of hair of the three of you guys? You know, it's funny because I, um, people who are bald or balding when they're young, they're so self-conscious about it. And I didn't realize that because I don't like notice it. I never think like, oh, look, there's a bald guy. You know, I mean, it, it, they didn't look bad to me. So it's funny because I, I didn't ever brag about it myself, but I did notice and I have noticed not with just those guys, but other people, when younger guys lose their hair, it's, um, and it, uh, kind of a, a little quasi obsession for it. How are you able to do a show at 4 a.m. Eastern time with the same energy that you might do one in the afternoon, say? Because it's the job. I mean, I'm a performer, right? And I'm a high energy person in general, and I'm a performer. So I feel like I'm not, um, I'm selling myself and the audience. Most, you know, I have a lot of respect for the audience. I'm selling them short if I'm not bringing my energy to the table or I don't have my energy elevated. Yeah, sometimes I'm tired, but when the, you know, sometimes it, you, you might not know it for, if you were seeing me at 3.59, you might not realize that I, I'd be ready to do a show in one minute. But when that light goes on, it's my, um, it's kind of my job, my duty, sense of pride. I wouldn't be able to be happy with myself or the product. So, um, so it's a, a combination, I guess, of, me being sort of naturally predisposed to having a high level of energy, and then on, on top of that, knowing that it, it's go time. Using that as an example for people that don't know, 4 a.m. Eastern time to 6 a.m. Eastern time, how did you have your day revolve around that show? Because with a show that early, you're probably getting up 2 or 2.30, getting prepared for the show around 3, you might not necessarily be able to catch all of the important sports games just because they run well late into the evening. How were you able to balance that out, especially with having a family as well? I, I, was, I figured out a split shift sleep, so uh, I would always stay up to the big games, and uh, I would sort of like take two naps. Two, <laughs> that, that's basically how it works. So think of before I would go to the show, you know, if you ever plug your phone into the wall to get it to 46% battery so you can at least leave the house. That that was the uh, the sleep at night, and then I would do the show, anything uh, concerned with the show afterwards, and then uh, go home and, and and sleep again for a few hours. But not ideal for human function. Not recommended for people who don't have to work those hours. But if you do work those hours, uh, that's what I found to be the most successful for both professionally and to live a, a reasonable life because then that way I'm up in the middle of the afternoon and I have time with the kids and I'm, I'm, I don't have to go to bed at 8 o'clock. I can stay up a little later and um, I'm, I'm getting at least, um, you know, six hours of sleep a day or something like that. You mentioned being on Mike and Mike. You've also been on Sports Nation, CNN, Sports Illustrated, Fox, 
ended up eventually having a syndicated show, more than 400 markets with that. Has there ever been a time that you've been nervous or is it more of a butterfly feeling effect that you're getting to be on these national platforms? Oh yeah, I've definitely been nervous for sure. Um, you know, you, you try to, I always have a saying nerves, excitement are cousins. So I try to train, change the, uh, nervousness into excitement, but you have to learn, you know, you, that's what experience helps, right? Cause the first time you do it, you're not going to be as good as the second time you do it. And there's differences between radio and TV, you know, in TV, I always find the hardest thing to do is what you do when you're not talking, <laughs> because everything when you're not talking on TV is really unnatural, because you, you have to, like, sit there and pretend you're, like, happy, and not that you're not happy, but just sitting there normal looks like you're unhappy, so you have to, like, figure out, you know, if you ever see a, what's Italian, what do I do with my hands, right. you know, all, all that sort of stuff, so, I mean, there, there's, different tricks of the trade but that's why people talk about reps and and practice and and feedback and and all that stuff so yeah of course i've been nervous at at times but i've also you know i also have a belief in my ability and and i i know that ultimately when i when i'm given the proper platform it's really going to pay off right people don't realize i mean you could be eating a sandwich in between my questions i'm pounding down coffee while you're answering yours radio's a little bit easier when it comes to not having to know what you're doing with your hands do you have a preference between either radio or television or is it something that you're comfortable doing both i'm comfortable doing both there's something special about radio where it's really intimate like you get to know who a person is from listening to them on the radio and you get to be really honest, and you also get to flesh out your thoughts. TV is, in a lot of ways, TV is easier because it's um, structured so much. So you're only going for this amount of time at a time. It may be um, there's more moving parts as far as looking into cameras and managing that stuff. So there's more technical work in TV. Um, and then radio also just has that, that spontaneity um, that can happen. Radio, audio, whatever you want to call it when it's live where you could think you're talking about one thing and then something happens and all of a sudden you're, you're talking about um, a grizzly bear against a, a tiger or you know, whatever. When it comes to radio, to peel back the curtain a little bit of your show, I'm guessing that one of your main focuses when prepping for the show was your opening monologue or maybe what you would start each hour off of with. Uh, yeah. I mean, a lot of, um, a lot of the, the, Boss types will tell you not to focus too much on the top of the show or the bottom of the show because people tune in at a different time. But sure, you, you prepare every show with, with some... Why are people listening to me? You know what I mean? That's basically what it is. So why are people listening to me when there are all these other choices? So you want to make sure that you are, are coming to the table with something... I've referenced it a few times, your voice. And, and I think I do a good job of that, and I think I have um, a fan base who really appreciates my perspective on things. And, and I try not to be like, you know, a jerk about it or, or any of that. I mean, I am who I am. I, I, my, my delivery is um, confident and uh, I, I'm, you know, I state my opinions very matter of factly and I, you know, I, I'll make jokes at everybody's expense, but I don't feel like I'm above the, the people listening, but I, I do think that they're listening because they want to get something different. And, and I think I provide that. Was there an interview that you've done 
regarding whatever the topic might be that stands out to you as one of your favorite interviews or maybe one that sort of went a different direction that you didn't expect it to? Hmm. You know, interviews are, they're one of the least, my least favorite things um, about this, these jobs because most of the time they're very stiff because people are there to promote something, but they don't want to talk about specific things. The best interviews are the ones that it feels like the person becomes a part of the show. Um, and, and that, you know, it's just, they're almost, um, one of the co-hosts for the show that day, rather than you're, you're just straight interviewing them. I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I, I don't know if I got the, the perfect answer for you right now. When it comes to callers, I know ESPN in general doesn't have as much time to take as many callers as, say, you would find on satellite radio. But when you did get callers, were you able to read them as far as knowing how long you can let them go if they had a good point, if you could have a good back and forth, or maybe some that you had to end quickly because they weren't going anywhere? By the way, I got to talk to The Rock in studio for a half hour, so that was cool. I'll go with that one. Um, the, uh, callers, I like callers, um, you know, they need to be focused. I think sometimes like given a little bit of a head start, you know, so instead of just, Hey, what do you want to talk about? More like, um, fill in the blank LeBron James is, or the New York Knicks are, or, you know, the Yankees or, or, or the Mets, um, who's more important, whatever. Um, but, um, callers are part of the show. So they're, they're the, the listening audience is cool when they get to weigh their opinion. And I also think, you know, you're doing a good show when you have regular um, guys that are there. And I, I, on top of that, people who develop characters. I've had a lot of character callers throughout the years in various shows. Who That lets me know that the, the vibe that I'm putting out there is a good one because people are, are just willing to do that on their own, create this character. I'll come back to callers because the show that you do now utilizes them quite well and actually fuels most of your show. But we have to get to the point that some people might be waiting on. And as many listeners might already know, you were unfortunately part of the real life red wedding in a sorts. That was the ESPN layoffs in April. Ended up breaking the news on Twitter. We're able to sort of be a part of that close-knit group we knew a lot of names on that list even when I was going down to see what you had tweeted because I just wanted to get the wording right there's still so many names on there that it's hard to believe some of the people that were let go in general for that did you know something like that was coming or was that day a surprise to you just like it was for most others well everyone knew that that was coming uh no one knew exactly who I mean you have phone conversations that can make you go, hmm, you know, um, and I, I you know, uh, uh, speaking, you know, I'm very appreciative of the opportunities I, I've had, but speaking frankly, you know, I've al- always felt there was more I could do. Let me just put it that way. I don't want to spend too much time, you know, it's just, that was a while ago now, um, uh, and I'm focused on my, my new endeavors and everything like that, and I don't have anything bad to say uh, about, you know, ESPN or anything like that, Um you know, if, if there was anyone in particular I had anything bad to say about, nobody would know who I'm talking about. So um, it's just one of those things. You, you got to, uh, like I was saying before, put your head up, pick your head up and, and plug forward. Uh, that's the, the game plan after that, because that was really a manifestation of a changing media paradigm, you know, with, with people not. Cable TV is dead. It's dead. It's just a matter of how long it lasts. So those old models don't work anymore. Um, and, and ESPN made a lot of money 
off of selling cable bundles. And that's not going to work anymore. So they're trying to adapt. You know, if I look at the list, there's definitely some people on there that uh, I wouldn't have uh, gotten rid of. Speaking nothing to do of myself, but you never know where, where life things. I could be back there, or or I could be on to my my next success. What 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 have you? But the industry is changing, and if you're in this um, line of work, one thing I learned a long time ago because it my career has not been, you know. Uh, a straight trajectory. It's been some ups and some downs. You can't judge your value on what some soup might think about you, or else you're going to wind up being worthless. So, um, you know, I, I, you know, since then, you mentioned Stick to Sports, which is uh, every Wednesday night at eight, and I've done some of that stuff for Sports Illustrated. And you know, when you talk about career accomplishments, one of the crazy things, the first um, video I did for them. Well, I did, I've been doing their, their SINL live show, and I've done some video essays. And the one I did on LeBron and Jordan, you know, it had Jay-Z and it had LeBron in it. So it was a speech I've been preparing for my whole life, wound up becoming a legitimately viral video, you know, 2.5 million views just on Facebook. So um, I'm trying to show that I'm a perfectly suited, uh, I hate this word, but talent for the current media landscape where the platform, you have to be able to perform on a number of platforms and the, the difference in screens is only the, the real difference people have is whether they're watching it on their, their tablet, their phone or their TV. Cause soon the distribution methods are all going to be the same because the, the old model, like I said, cable gone, just like print media um, is on its way out or has been on its way out. Oh, we're going to get to LeBron. I'm going to get you a little sweaty before I let you go, just being able to tell what that specific rant was. But I wanted to hit on Stick to Sports. You mentioned that's Wednesday nights at 8 on TalkCentralAmerica.tv. You can also find that through your Twitter as well. And that's almost a great community discussion, in a sense, of sports because you allow people that are listening to come on and chime in on whatever the main topics might be and you're able to build relationships with those listeners and also see them face-to-face. How did you end up starting that show, and what have you enjoyed most about doing so? Well, they reached out to me, actually, and then I just thought it was a cool technology and um, some creative freedom. And what's cool about it is, yeah, it's like, you know, people haven't seen video callers before. And, you know, you've seen people on video before doing shows, but not in a number of... um, of them at a time. If we want to call, come full circle, it's kind of like around the horn with callers, right? And I personally, well, uh, you know, I do live events where I hang out with people and all that stuff. I personally love getting to know the audience because they're my peers, man. You know, just like, uh, you know, I used to hear, here's a, this, this is not to give myself any credit or anything like that. It's just the truth. When I, uh, I guess because I came up as a producer, my perspective may have been a little different than some of the other hosts, but oftentimes getting ready for a radio show, there's two rooms. There's the, the studio and then the, the room that the broadcast happens out of. And I've been around a lot of guys who, as soon as they get to work, they go into the broadcast room and they, they're separate with the, from the crew. I've always just sat and hung out with the crew the whole time until it was time to go. Um, that, that's just who I am. So, um, uh, it's cool to, uh, you know, it's awesome that people care what you have to say. And if you get a chance to meet and interact with those people, that makes it even better. 
you probably have a different feeling than most when you might turn on ESPN and watch First Take Now, since it's Stephen A. Smith and Max Kellerman, two hosts that you were once the producer for and worked very closely by. Do you enjoy getting able to watch them go at it just because of the relationship you had with them? You know, to be honest, just because the schedule is not, it's not um, something I, I uh, had a chance to dissect to that degree. I mean, both of those guys are really good at what they do. I mean, Steven is, people can say what they want about him, but he's an entertaining personality. A, a lot of times, I, I, nece- I won't necessarily agree with the content, but you can't um, help but, but be amused by the delivery. And then Max is a, Max is a brilliant dude, man. Um, so uh, I'll you know, always support anything he's doing. The last thing before I get you out of here, you mentioned working for SI now and getting able to do a couple great pieces for them. And one of them was provoking some of the LeBron James lovers, the Michael Jordan haters, or vice versa, saying that LeBron James is the best basketball player of all time. Has your mindset changed at all from what you originally said? And what were some of the main talking points in that? No, my mind hasn't changed at all. Uh, I mean, to, to work backwards from the results is stupid. I mean, like, sometimes sports fans purposely make themselves stupid. I mean, because, like, think about that. Do you do that with anything else in life where you just, like, wait until something happens and then erase everything else you've seen and thought because of what happened at the end regardless of the context? No, you don't do that. But, um, look, Michael Jordan is an awesome, awesome player, was an awesome, awesome player. And if you think he's the best basketball player of all time, that's a perfectly reasonable opinion. But I've said that for a long time, that LeBron is better than Jordan. I said it on the radio. Um, thankfully, Sports Illustrated gave me a platform for it to really explode. And the, the reasons I say that are, uh, uh, there's a couple. One, LeBron is physically just different than people. I mean, that's obvious. But at the same time, he is a basketball genius. So he was gifted with the physical attributes and the mental attributes to succeed. On top of that, he's clearly had more individual impact on a team than any other player. When he's on a team, they're going to the finals. When he loses, when he leaves the team for a game or a period, they're utter garbage, right? I mean, we've seen that. The Cavs were the worst team in the NBA when he left during that entire time frame. The Heat were in four straight finals. He gets back to the Cavs. They're right back in the finals. So uh, you, you see just that impact. I mean, the year that LeBron left Cleveland, their winning percentage fell more than the year that Jordan, Pippen, and Rodman all left the Bulls. Not the, and, and Phil Jackson, too. Uh, and then on top of that, there's the year Jordan went to play baseball, and the, the Bulls were still a 55-win team. So those are some of the reasons on top of the teams that LeBron has faced are just out-of-control legendary. You know, some of the ones he's beaten, the, the 73-win Warriors, the um, – the Spurs with Leonard, Ginobili, Parker, Duncan, the Thunder with Durant, Westbrook, uh, Harden, uh, Ibaka, and then the teams he's lost to were all pretty much great. The, the one legitimate black mark on LeBron's career, the Mavericks were a really good team, but he did not have a good finals in 2011. That's the one, I think, legit criticism of him. Everything else is bunching up. And you can throw out the Jay-Z quote. Uh, well, the Jay-Z quote I used um, was because LeBron had mentioned uh, – he was chasing the ghost of Michael Jordan. And uh, there's a Jay-Z song where he says, Hove got slow, though he's no big in pock, but he's close. 
how am I supposed to win when they got me fighting goats or chasing goats? The album for him is coming out shortly, so I wanted to just give that little plug. I'm sure Hove is listening to The Bridge, obviously. I mean, what else would he be doing? I will attach that to my show notes for people that want to hear the whole thing. There's actually a lot of great points in there, of course, but it's always a great topic of discussion when it comes to something like that. So do you have any idea of where you might want to go next or what your next projects might be or what the future is looking like for where you want to move forward to? Well, I'll be in with Sports Illustrated again this Thursday and Friday. I got to speak to sports every Wednesday. I have some minor radio news coming soon that I can't talk about yet. Um, and then I'm going to go from there. But, uh, you know, I, I, uh, <laughs> I, you know I've, I landed on my feet and started running, and I'm going to see where, where it takes me. Well, if you ever want to start the Lund and Lundberg or Lundberg and Lund podcast, you just let me know, and I'll talk to my people and make it happen. <laughs> All right. Thanks for coming on, Robin. I really appreciate getting to know more about what you've done up until this point. Refresh everyone's memory of that. They should at least know your voice. They probably know you by face as well. But some of the work you've been able to do over the last many years has been great to listen to and great to watch. Hopefully continued success with what you're working on now and, and what you continue to work on. But I'm sure you're going to continue to do great things as well, even after this podcast. But I appreciate some of your time and peeling back the curtain on some of the things you've been up to and letting people know what you'll be doing in the future. All right. Appreciate it, man. Take it easy. We'll close out the show with America's fastest growing sports segment called Good Try, Good Effort. Here we'll briefly mention some of the instances from throughout the week when a team or player or coach meant well but didn't quite meet those expectations. Just one for this week. Good try, good effort, Joe Buck. Fox continued to play its hand in the golf game and was the place to be to watch this year's U.S. Open, which Brooks Kopka won for his first major with a 16 under par. Joe Buck was the main play-by-play -play announcer of the event and did his usual great job of commentating. That is, right up until the very end. While Brooks made his way to the clubhouse and stopped here and there for the congratulatory gestures... He also received a kiss from his girlfriend, which is par tradition as well, which Buck noted on the broadcast. Unfortunately, Joe's information was a little outdated. His girlfriend, Becky Edwards, All-American soccer player at Florida State, pro soccer player. And Joe, that's actually his new girlfriend. That's Jenna Sims. They were all staying together this week. Indeed, Brooks did date professional soccer player Becky Edwards, but has since moved on to Jenna Sims, an actress and former Miss Georgia Teen USA in 2007. You'll be able to see her in action soon in Sharknado 5 as well. And God bless Brad Faxon for having the balls to correct Joe Buck's faux pas, later saying in the broadcast that Brooks did tell him about his relationship earlier in the week. Well, la-dee-da, Brad. Faxon, I'm glad you got the girlfriend thing right. Well, good friend of mine, Matt Broom, knows him pretty well and sent me that name. And Brooks told me secretively that they were together this week. Oh, really? Look at oh, you yeah. up on all the gossip on the PGA Tour. 
Hey, I live right near these guys. Wow, you got to keep up with Brooks, and Fax is your guy for that. But congrats to Brooks, not only for winning his first major, but even more congrats for leaving one smoke for yet another. That's going to do it for The Bridge. You can listen to this show and all previous shows over on my website at londonbridge.com. That's L-U-N-D-I-N-B-R-I-D-G-E. You can also follow me on Twitter under that same handle, at London Bridge. You can find The Bridge on iTunes by searching for The Bridge Sports Podcast. There you'll find the newest episodes of The Bridge every Friday. And please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review as well. You can also find The Bridge on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and tune in by searching for Sports Radio America. In the next installment of The Bridge, we'll get back into the NBA discussions, dive into some more Major League Baseball, circle the wagons of the National Football League, and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve. On the bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports.